Welcome back to Chasing Hazel's Tales, a family history podcast. If you haven't heard her story, I invite you to go back go back and check out our entire episode list. There's never a dull moment. But today I'm once again having tea because here in Maine, it's storming again, same as last week, and we're all hoping that the power holds. And uh, so we'll blame everything that happens in this podcast on the power company. <laughs> but here at my house, we sometimes blame things on the squirrels because they eat my cable wires. We currently have about... Um, I don't know, maybe six to eight inches of snow out there and it's not stopping. So we're going to catch you up on some Hazel news and then pick up the Nikolai family and continue on with their amazing story. I'm Kim McLaughlin. And I'm Laura Ireland. And I did want to butt in just for a second and say, just for the record, I try to keep these stories as kind of private as possible. So I don't like to mention names of the living unless they want in, unless they want us to and or give me permission. So sometimes you might think that I I say they had two daughters or whatever, you know, that kind of thing. I just don't go into people who have no interest in this kind of thing. So and I am for privacy. They're living and I just don't go on about it, just so you know. Right. So the stories we've told basically are of the people who have passed. Right. And there's you want if you want to talk about it, let me know. <laughs> Give us a little jingle. Yep. But we are very fortunate to have some people that are willing to share information about Hazel with us. And um, this past week, like we told you in our last episode, we ended up meeting up with Maxine Perry, who was a neighbor to our family back in the day. And her daughters, Kathy and Paula, and two of her nieces, Paula and Carlene, also joined us. And the nieces are to Mona, who we mentioned in the first few episodes. She's the one who knew, one of the people who knew our grandmother, and our grandmother Hazel made her address and all that kind of thing. So, but anyway, this meeting was with Maxine to to get her take on what life was like and what she knew about Hazel and our family back in the day, because she was an eyewitness. So... And she's still very sharp, and she recalled many things about her friendship with our Aunt Georgia Burgoyne Hallett and her memories of Hazel. So she used to, she said she went to their house a lot on the weekends, and she remembers it just being a happy household, that she and Georgia would help to take care of the younger children, Pat and Roscoe, and that she remembered Hazel loving to have kids over to the house. And, but she also remembered, you know, the times when Hazel was sick, when she would come home from treatments and just sort of be laying on the couch in the kitchen. And that's when she and Georgie would cook and bake and right. take and they care had of the a good smaller time. ones. Right. And they had a good time doing it. They were good. They were good buddies. It sounded like it. Yeah. And so they would go on. Maxine and Georgia maintained their friendship all throughout school. And they graduated in 1946. And then they kind of went their separate ways. Maxine left the state for a bit, and Aunt Georgie went on to college. But that was the pivotal year for the family that where Hazel died. So, so Maxine's memories of that time were all of Hazel's life and her illness. And you know, she doesn't really right. have memories about the family after Hazel passed. So, right. But that was that was very nice to sit and talk with them about all of that. Right. So, so it was really like a very nice afternoon. And just to mention that Maxine is over 90, 90 years old, and she had 
brilliant recollections about everything, yes. about all the families and all the connections. And But it was very nice for her just to hear her say that Hazel was happy and happiest when the kids were there and loved right. to have them over. So that makes me feel just a little bit better because how we would never have known that. How would we have known? Right. Because there's no way. No one, um, no one told us. <laughs> no one told Again. us anything. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, I almost can't blame them for not talking about it. It probably was so painful, you know, and yeah. And sad facts. Sad facts. That's yep. right. Yep. But there was very something very special on Saturday when we met Paula, Mona's daughter, and my former co-worker, very special co-worker. She gave us a very special gift. She handed over to us the dress that our grandmother Hazel had made for her mother Mona. And if you recall, in one of the previous episodes when we were telling Hazel's story, we mentioned that Mona kept this in her trunk, packed safely away for somewhere around 80 years or maybe more than 80 years. And uh, she dug it out when Paula had asked her about Hazel for me. So, right. Uh, so it's been so in now we trunk. have that. Yeah. And it's yeah. a cute, cute little dress. And of course, the picture was already put up, you know, on the show notes and stuff. So, right. And they were saying how it must have been a very treasured item because it was in with all of her other treasures, things yes. that she held dear. And, and they really didn't even know what it was until this came up, until this podcast came up. The, the daughters really had no idea what was what, right. what it was. Mm-hmm. So that story would have been lost. Right. And, you know, then there were, we also realized that there, we have a connection, a common, well, not quite a common connection. The sages are also right. related to Aunt Hattie. Hattie she should, have, she should have special music whenever we play yeah. say her dun, name. Just dun, dun. The, I'm not sure what. Dun, 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 dun. So that one, that's what I was going to go for. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's the music I'm going to keep in my so, head. <laughs> so we were related to Carl, and they were related to Hattie. And I thought, you know, it, it's right. fun to make those little connections. And I'll let Kim tell you about the other big surprise yeah. that happened on Saturday. This one was very cool. And one thing that I wanted to mention about Maxine was she remember who lived in every house because we're oh, right, yeah, we're, um, where Hazel had first lived in Holland with Stan. Well, she knew who lived in that house and who lived in the one beside her and across the street and all the different families that knew each other and what they would do for fun. And it, it was a great little yeah. conversation. And the whole family seemed to know as well, because these families owned these houses for a long period of time, I think, back in right. the day. And the town hasn't changed that much. No. To and be so honest. I think I feel now that I could go to Holland and I could sit and look exactly where Hazel lived. Right. And where I had no knowledge of that before. I didn't really know. And we didn't live in Holland. We grew up in Enfield, but we did yeah. learn some other things. And she was just amazing. And we thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Mm. But as Laura said, so while we're having this meeting, we're talking with with Maxine. Of course, much of the family seemed to be interested in kind of showed up to say hello to us. And it was very not. It was cool. We got to meet a lot of people. And so the icing on the cake for me, which was kind of funny, I think, which kind of, I don't I'm know. I'm still laughing. I, I can't help myself. Pardon my laughter in the back. <laughs> and I think everybody else just kind of went, what? But so when another family member came in and uh, he, he said hello, was gracious and, and just wanted to say, say hi. And then when he said his name, I almost, my chin dropped on the floor. And he said, oh, you know, my name's, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say his name. His name is Robert Van Tassel. And I said, what? Wait, what? 
Van Tassel? I said, are you the same Van Tassels from Sleepy? And then as soon as I said Sleepy Hollow, he said Sleepy Hollow. So, Kim, I'm going to stop you right there. And I'm going to tell you as a witness to this conversation, it was the funniest thing I've ever seen. It was like two Trekkies meeting each other and talking a separate language. It was. It was. They were just uttering words back and forth and each one understood what the other one meant. And it was hilarious. (laughs) What? Sleepy Hollow? You know, have you been to the church? The thing? The yes? The storms? Manhattan? Washington yeah. Irving? What? Yeah. <laughs> so it comes to find out Mr. Van Tassel is a very distant relative of mine and Laura's, of course, through my mother's line. And because we, we could trace our lineage back to Sleepy Hollow, New York, which, of course, Washington Irving, the Headless Horseman and all that. But that's not what we're connected with. But so the, the, our family comes from Sleepy Hollow. And they were loyalists and Dutch, the Dutch Reformed Church, that kind of institution. And way back, we could trace it back to the 1600s very clearly. And then, but what happened was they were loyalists. And then during the, the Revolutionary War, they ended up having to go to Canada because they, they were on the losing side they of the no revolution. They were welcome. Yeah, they were no longer welcome. It's like, here's your hat, you know, uh, here's your hat, watch your hurry, get out of here. For the, for the record is immediately when I told my daughter Whitney about this little exchange she said oh sleepy hollow as soon as i got out the words van tassel because she remembered immediately from the movie sleepy hollow uh, yep. that there was a character in there by the with the last name of van tassel i don't know why she remembered that and she doesn't know either but she immediately connected the two so right so so our lines our lines meet with mr van tassel and so the the there's a lot, there's a really strong lineage that comes out of Sleepy Hollow, New York and Terrytown. They all went to Canada and seeped back into Maine when they, you know, when it was appropriate, I suppose. And they made their lives here as well. But so someday I'm going to do a podcast on that because there, are, I, I know now a lot of people who are related to me and because of Sleepy Hollow. And one of them happens to be my husband. So. <laughs> But me and my husband are like six or eight cousins, something like that. I wasn't sure you were going to go public with that, but okay. But there's there's others too. So stay tuned for that because that is Sleepy Hollow is a fun story. And Laura and I thought we might just take it on the road and we might just broadcast from there. That would be really fun. So I don't know. But but there's a lot of stories in Sleepy Hollow. And so this weekend was another example of how Maine is just one big small town. And that exactly. I mean, you don't have to you don't have to go very far before you find someone that you're related to. Most people don't know it, but I always ask. <laughs> That's the problem. So who who's your mother? <laughs> Where were they born? Where are their people? <laughs> What's your maiden name? What's her maiden name? That's right. Where's your where's your tree? I need to see your tree. Yeah. And so another thing that we've come to learn is that people who enjoy our podcast, we know we know you're out there. And there's a few of them anyway. There's a few. And we've heard that you're, you're now going to be put into a group called the Hazelnuts. So <laughs> I'm not sure. I, you should be proud. You are proud to be a hazelnut. That's so, right. That's right. Yeah. So that's enough. Yeah. We, we just had a really good week and we enjoyed all of our company of the people that we got to talk to. And I now and know. We're still processing. We're so, still yeah, processing it. My brain have, anyway is still processing a lot of it. Yeah. A lot of it. And it was fun. We did. I mean, we did. It's a very good should, time. Very good nice time. Visit. But Mr. Yep. Van Tassel also gave me within like two seconds, his lineage back to 1600. And this did, this did not take long. I think 
I would he like to back in the other room and hand wrote, wrote it down and just <laughs> handed it over. And I just thought, well, and the thing is, two like wanted... minds right here. Yes. So I have, I now have intentions of trying to to duplicate his speed. I'm going to see if I can yeah. beat him. But so what he but does? But he also he... gave you his email. So yeah, I have his email. Yeah. It, yeah. The thing he noted though was that in 1600, one of the Van Tassel family members did marry a. I, I, did he call it a princess? A Native American? Yes. A Native American princess. And what that means, you know, basically is there's always, people always have stories about that Native American princess in their line. But he does have a name of a of a Native American that was married into the family from the Montauk tribe. So I'm, that's something, that's on my list of things to do on this really snowy day. I want to check that out because that sounds really interesting. So stay tuned. All right, so now now we'll dive back into the Nikolai story. So remember, we're talking about Salvatore and Ruth Nikolai. They're the ones who married in the Boston area and made their home there, only to have Salvatore die at a very young age. And then Ruth and her four children went back to Canada, and she remarried only then to pass from an illness during her pregnancy with her fifth child, a daughter. We left that story last week with the young Nikolai children, Philip, Rosella, Ruth, and Sylvia, and new younger sister, Marilyn Rose Jackson, all in Canada. The Nikolais had lost their dad in 28, and then in 36, lost their mom. And so four American children and one Canadian with a biological father to care for her. Right. So we will carry on with that from here. Marilyn Rose was Canadian, and she was not allowed into the United States with her siblings. Instead, she stayed in Canada with her dad, and she later married and moved to Manitoba, where she had a son. But, you know, there you go. There's, that must have been such a tough situation to be separ- separated from your siblings. Um, I can only imagine, yeah. Yeah, but even though she was a baby, she never, you know, she never knew any different. But the Ruth's family was split as soon as she passed. And the older four left right after she was born, after Marilyn was born. So they were orphans with no citizenship in Canada. And so without their mother, so some choices had to be made. So that's kind of a conversation that's really, I mean, that's got to be a tough one because they had to go. They couldn't stay in Canada. So even if there were orphanages and even if there were someone else, they couldn't stay. And there may be some details there that I'm missing. So what happened next was they they had to go okay and so we also mentioned last week Irma Broad Kinney she was Ruth Broad Nikolai's older sister only one year separating them and while Ruth Broad was described as adventurous Irma Broad was not so Irma Broad had had moved to the United States just across the border in Holton not far from her home and had her own family with her husband, Harvey. So they had three children who would be first cousins to the Nikolais. Their names were Leola, Winston, and Shirley, and were pretty similar ages to those Nikolai children. In the same month that their mother died in July of 1936, Irma brought those Nikolai children into her home and raised them alongside her own three children. And just a little background on the area of where they were brought up in Weston, Maine. 
population is in the you know low hundreds, anywhere from 228 to I think its highest was 433. And it also western borders on Canada the, and also has a beautiful lake, Grand Lake, right in the town. And the border between Maine and Canada runs right through the middle of that lake. And I thought that was pretty interesting. And that's where we spent a couple of summers ago. Remember, D- yeah, during COVID, we went to Orient and sometimes our cell phone would ping off Canadian towers. <laughs> so we were that close. You just throw a rock and hit Canada, but it's beautiful yeah. up there. It is. It is a beautiful lake. And they've got that million dollar view that turnout off Route 1, right. that was also, that was great. And when you were there at that lake and those loons, loons came in, that was the right. largest number of loons I've ever seen at one time. Right. I don't remember how many there were, but. Must have been 12 or 16. And they all just like went that. right by the camp and were singing their song. Yeah. I've only ever seen like six or seven together at the most. Yeah. This was uh-huh. a big, I don't, what do you call a group of loons? I don't know. <laughs> I don't I'm, I'm going to get back to you on that because I don't know, but it was a lot. I'm going to Google it while you... Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we have a timeline of events that were written by the eldest Nikolai child, Philip. So he was older and he probably had more memories of what went on. So, but he recalls when they moved to Holton, it was Holton first, I think, and that he, and this was how he wrote it, cut foot with axe, nearly bled to death, the summer of 36. That's what he had written. So imagine a man of you know, few he, words. What's that? A man of few words. I would imagine, you know, so he was a young man of about 14 when he got there and he would have to work on the farm, you know, to help and, the, you know, have to use the axe. Well, cut his that foot with it. That can be dangerous. Yeah. Very dangerous. But he did go on to recover from that. And he mentions he went to school for three years in Holton and then he moved with the entire family to Weston in 1938. He graduated from Danforth High School. His younger sister, Ruth, also recalled working on the farm, and all of them earning their keep. So Ruth had mentioned she was very grateful that Aunt Irma, as they called her, Aunt Irma, took them in and felt all of them contributed on the Kinney farm. She had been dealt a tough hand, but made the best of it. And in her words, her own words, she would say she would endeavor to persevere. And to this day, that's what Andrew's calling sign is, kind of just endeavor Mm -hmm. to persevere. And Rosella and Sylvia also spent their school years in Weston and graduated from Danforth High. Hmm. Well, that's really something. There's a lot to be done on a farm, and I'm sure that it was a good, it sounds like it was a pretty good childhood for them, you know, not for the circumstances that right. they had. I think um, that they were, they were, it's a great place to be. They were accepted with their cousins. They became close with their cousins. Yeah. And as far as sounds, I know, and, I but I'm going to share some pictures. Like nice lady. Yeah, I'm going to share some pictures of when the kids were older. And but they were on the farm, so they're pictures from the farm, and so I'm going to put that on social media because they're 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 great pictures. Okay, so in the 1940 census, the four Nikolai children living with their aunt Irma in Weston, Maine. It also details the census report details that they were all born in Massachusetts and had lived in Canada in 1935. So it seems that Philip's recollections were pretty good, and in the years between the 1940 and the 1950 census, there'd be a lot of developments. Philip went into the Navy and served during World War II. Then he was married in 1947 and finally settling down in Virginia to raise his family of three sons. And Rosella married in 1946, and she lived in Maine, where she raised her family of two daughters. And then then we have Ruth, Ruth, who happens to be my mother-in-law. So I know a little bit, a little more. So Ruth was married in 1946 to James McLaughlin. 
And so these are my in-laws, my mother and father-in-law. They traveled quite a bit when they first got married as Jim was working and considering where his professional opportunities would be. But they returned to Maine and they raised their family in Lincoln and their family grew to a size of 10, five boys and five girls. And we'll have more on that later. And then there was Sylvia. Sylvia was the youngest and she was also known as Sibby. She was married in 1948 and she settled in Portland where she raised her family of two daughters. And this turns out to be pretty important because Sylvia uses the many available local resources here in the story of the Nikolai family. So it was it was a good thing that Sylvia was here in Portland. Let's just say that. Yeah. Yep. I don't want to tease too much, but tune in next week, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, as with most families, it can be really hard to maintain the connections. But despite having... Not long, I mean, no longer having the parents as the, you know, what usually is the elemental glue that keeps people connected. The four Nikolai children were forever connected for the decades of their lives. And as for Irma Broad Kinney back in Aroostook County in 1950, the census shows her household had five lodgers along with her son and his family. So after most of the children left, they made use of the farm and had a source of an income. And the connection of Ruth. Nikolai's four children to their Aunt Irma, Uncle Harvey, and their cousins never faded either. It was solid. So, as you can see, the little family that Salvatore and Ruth built was growing and thriving. Right. So, we brought you to adulthood for all of the kids, how they were raised on the farm. And it, it, was, it was a good upbringing. And you'll see their happy faces when I show you the pictures on social media. But it was it was solid. It was a good it was a good start and very grateful to Aunt Irma. But next week, we're gonna welcome Lisa McLaughlin Goodwin. So that's my sister-in-law. That's my husband's sister. And we're gonna discuss then what her recollections are of her mom and her siblings. And I have questions. <laughs> I don't know about you, Laura, but I have questions. Like I want always know, questions. How much did the siblings know about their parents? How much do they recall? Because, you know, it's of course, the youngest ones would recall less, and Philip would re right. recall more, which he did, and he wrote down his recollections of a timeline. But, you know, how? I wonder how much, you know, was told or what kind of stories were forwarded. Right, and where they did live with family, maybe the maybe Aunt Irma shared stories, maybe they can continue to talk about the parents, or, yep. or maybe they didn't, you know, so everybody handles it differently. Maybe, you know, it could be a... A thing where they didn't talk about her, or, or maybe she did. Well, maybe we'll yep. find out. We'll find out. Sibby's going to be a, a part of the story here soon. So next week, we'll get into how they connected with their parents who had passed and mm -hmm. how, how they dealt with it. I'm not going to give you any hints either, because there's, there's some good stories coming up, and you really, really, really need to hear them. No. Uh, so we'll leave it at that. And I did look up what a group of loons is called. And? It's called an asylum. Oh, wow. So we saw an asylum of loons. Yes, you did. At Grand Lake yeah. in Orient a few years ago. And that was amazing. So asylum. No, I, w I wouldn't have got that. That one right. Me either. Yeah. <laughs> but until next week, if you get an opportunity, please rate and review our podcast. Share it with others if you want. And if you haven't heard Hazel's whole story, I invite you to check out our entire episode list. Never miss a dull moment because we've got stories and 
you know, they're entertaining for sure. You can reach us on social media and by email at chasinghazelstales at gmail.com. That's all one thing, chasinghazelstales at gmail.com. So So until next week, thanks for listening. All right. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you.